Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we pray that as we, as we continue our worship through the proclamation of the word, God, that you would soften our hearts and help us to understand what you have for us. God, I'm, I'm thankful for this season as we prepare for Christmas, which is just our remembrance of the incarnation. God, I pray that it would be meaningful, our time of preparation, that you would help us to not take it for granted that we are able to freely proclaim and freely gather together to worship you. I pray this morning, God, that you would do what only you can do, which is pierce our hearts. I pray that you would cut through the human words that I will use and that, Holy Spirit, you will bring conviction and that we would live in light of the truth that we see here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we um, kind of come to the end, towards the end, next week will be the, the official end, really, of our series of the story going through the Old Testament. Um, we said how um, these last couple of weeks, last week and this week, we are going to be addressing giving. And the reason for that is in this, in, um, as we go through the Old Testament, we see this pattern of God's people coming towards God and falling away and how God is constantly, um, he is pointing to Jesus and he is pointing to the redemption that, will, that, that he is providing for us and for his children. And so um, what we see in the Old Testament is the prophets and everyone communicating to the people of God to turn back to God. So he uses the prophets. We talked about how the prophets are, are appealing to God. You've seen all these things that he has done. Put your faith and your hope and your trust in him. And specifically, the prophets are often dealing with the issue of worship. And the issue of, of worship is, it shows what our hearts are actually doing and, and who we love and who we cherish and, and who we trust. And, and in that form of worship, we deal with giving. And last week, we, we built the case that giving financially is something that's addressed in, Bi in the Bible in, in a different way than a lot of other things. One that it's talked about so frequently, but also that Jesus put, pits it as um, you are either choosing to worship God or money. And so last week, we tried to build the biblical case for why does the Bible talk so much about money, giving money in particular, and, and what does that actually, um, what, what does that entail and, and what does that reveal in our hearts? And so we talked about how it's this tangible way of, of worshiping God, this tangible way of demonstrating that our trust is in the Lord. And so the follow-up question always is when, when people are, feel convicted or feel, feel compelled from Scripture and to say, yeah, I, I want to be free from worrying about this. I want to be set free from this. I want to demonstrate that my trust is in God and my hope is in God. The follow-up question is often, well, then where? Where do I give? And so we, we're going to answer that question here this morning. Because a lot of people, you look at that and say, well, there are a lot of ways to be generous. And we should be generous. If we're called to be generous as, as children of God, then we, then we should be generous. And there are a lot of ways to be generous. It's generous to, to buy way too many Girl Scout cookies. It's not particularly healthy or certainly not unselfish, but it is a generous thing to do, to just get an extra bit more. It's a generous thing to throw a quarter in when the kid in front of you at the concession stand is, is 25 cents short of the, the candy bar that they want. It's a generous thing to buy, to pay it forward, 
um, in a drive-through and to pay for the person's meal behind you. These are all generous things. And, the, and we are commanded to be generous. But there are also specific ways that we are commanded to be generous. And that is the way that it is with giving. So you may say, I, I give in all kinds of ways. It doesn't have to be just to the church. And I would half agree with that statement. It doesn't have to be done only to the church. But it is certainly about the church. So what we're talking today about is the specifics of why are we to give to the church. And I want to cover that from a biblical foundation first, which is always where we should start. What, is, what does the Bible say about this? What has God communicated to us through his word? And then I want to give the, the practical, like the, the beautiful practical things that come out of God's commandments to us because his commandments to us are not, they're not, like a, they're not to be a burden. They're meant for freedom and they're meant to, we get to see incredible things happen. And then the ultimate effect of that. So first is the, the biblical foundation of why, why giving to the church is specifically talked about in Scripture and how. And the biggest reason is that this, this giving, giving to God, is giving as an act of worship. And we see this um, all throughout Scripture, but one example in the Old Testament is in Deuteronomy 14. And in Deuteronomy 14, it says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. So you may be wondering, you look at that passage and say, okay, what does this have to do with us? This is about oxen and sheep and this is Old Testament tithing. Well, there is this common thread that's going on here that, that applies for us today. One of the things that you see right off the bat is when he, how often he says, before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose. So a good, a key principle about giving in this way specifically is that we are to give the way that God commands us to. That it is not primarily based on our preferences, it is based on his will. Because the, the reason for this is it's a demonstration of all that we have is God's. It's not our own. If, if your thought is, well, it's my money and I can choose like what I do with it, how I give, who I give it to, where I give it, when I give it, then you and I aren't talking about the same thing. What you're talking about there is charitable giving. And charitable giving is a good thing. I encourage people to do charitable giving. Charitable giving is, I believe, in a cause 
And so I, I think that this is a good way. So I'm going to give some of my money to support this cause. That's charitable giving. But it's not worship giving. There are specific ways that God, that God declares that we are to do this. And the way that he declares we're to do this in Deuteronomy is that we bring the tithe to the temple. Why? Because it's the place where God dwells. His will is that they would bring it to the temple. And if you can't, and he even gives like a, you know, just an exception to that. He says, if, if, if it's too far for you to bring your oxen and your sheep, like they wouldn't make the trip, you know, or it would be too burdensome to make that trip. He even says, look, you can sell it, sell those, those animals locally, and then come to the temple with the money and, and buy whatever you want and offer that. Which is an interesting allowance in there. But the point is to bring their tithe. Why, why is that important? Well, it's important because the, the issue is not the oxen. Okay, the issue is not the sheep. It's not the grain. It's not the money. The issue is the worship of God. So if you think that it does not matter to God how we worship him through our giving, then then you're mistaken. The Bible is, is clear that, that God does care about that. He says, bring the tithe before the Lord and celebrate with it. Eat before the Lord and rejoice. Share in it. This is what he wants them to do. It's this demonstration of trusting in God and worshiping him. Why? To what end? Well, in verse 23, he says, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. See, the point is not the animals. It's not that God looked out upon his people and said, okay, for this plan to work, we need so many oxen. And so I'm going to divvy this up and I'm going to make sure that everybody has it. So if they give this percentage, then well, everybody will be covered. That's not the point. The point of it is so they would fear the Lord. That they would learn to trust him. What does that look like? Well, last week, remember we talked about in Matthew 6, of how we are called to store up treasures in heaven. And now that precedes the passage about not worrying. So when Jesus says, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or any of that, what he's saying to them is for those of you that have stored your treasures up in heaven, where you have placed your treasure and your heart, your heart will be there also. And thereby, so will your fear, your awe. Everything goes that way. And you don't need to worry about these things. You don't need to fear these other things about what you will eat or what you will drink. See, the idea here, I mean, imagine how terrifying that would be for someone who is a farmer or something to like have to travel all that way and to take that time away and to give and to, to give a 10, uh, 10% of, of their crop and of their yield and all of this stuff. Like that demonstrated a lot of trust and a lot of fear in the Lord. And what we see in scripture is that when you fear the Lord, you fear nothing else. So what the Lord is doing through the Old Testament here, through these commands, is not saying, hey, give me your money. What he's saying is fear me only. Because what he knows as our good father is that when we fear him, we fear nothing else. And I don't know about you, but I want to be there in my life. And I'm not. I'm constantly battling fears of other things and letting those creep in. And I look at scripture and I see, oh, if I just, if only I fully understood and grasped fearing the Lord the way the Bible commands me to, then I would know no other fear. 
So they gave. Now, why did they bring it to the temple? Because that's the place that the Lord dwelled. So it was the most tangible way that they could take what they placed their hope in and say, I have a greater hope, and they gave it directly to God. So you may say, well, then the next objection is, well, wasn't that just the Old Testament? Like, we don't have temples anymore. I mean, we, we, we're in a church here where we have farmers, and I just can't imagine, like, what it would be like, you know, I, we don't have the cooktas bringing in cattle here to just, you know, slaughter up here in front of everybody. We don't do that anymore, and there's a lot of reasons why we don't. I mean, several reasons. One, it's illegal, but also... Um, it's, not, it's not required because it's ceremonial law of the sacrifice. And we know. And so we'd say like, okay, well then that's, that's not applicable anymore. We don't, we don't need to do that anymore. But the principle that's here of giving directly to God so that God would teach us the fear of the Lord remains. In John 12, we have this interesting interaction that we've talked about before, never in, in light of this. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So, Motivations aside, I think we would look at this passage and on its surface say Judas has a pretty decent point here, right? I mean, Mary has this perfume, this oil that, that, that only can be opened by breaking it. So it's all or nothing. And, he, and she pours it out on Jesus' feet. And that does, on the surface, feel like a little bit of a waste because, after all, it could have been sold for a lot of money and could have taken care of a lot of needs. So, yes, she could have given the poor. Like, maybe Judas's point was, hey, look, I got another plan, Mary. Why don't you just tell Jesus, Jesus, I love you a ton. I love you more than I could possibly imagine. And so I'm going to take this and I'm going to go and sell it and give all the money to the poor. Like, how about that plan? But she doesn't do that. She pours it on the feet of Jesus. Why? Because the point wasn't the cause that that money was going to go to serve. The point was who she was giving it to. And so she gives it directly and tangibly to Jesus. She's saying this thing that is incredibly valuable, I'm giving to something I find far more valuable. That is giving as worship, giving directly to God. So then, okay, well, we don't have that. So we don't have the temple where we can go and take things. We don't have the physical presence of Jesus where we can give and, and do something like that for. So 
what do we have? We see in Acts 4 what we have. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So what we see is this continuation of this pattern. That in the Old Testament, the people of God were commanded to bring their tithes and their offerings to the temple. Why? Because it's the place where God dwelled. In the time of Jesus, we see Mary being praised for her giving directly to Jesus and pouring out on him. And in the church age, where does God dwell? In the body of Christ, the church. So you might say, you might look at that and, and feel a similar way and, and unintentionally sounding like Judas, only with much better motives. Like, well, isn't just giving anywhere? I can't, anytime I give, isn't, isn't that an act of worship? Like giving money to a homeless man is, is an act of worship. And, and in fact, Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. So therefore, when I do that, isn't that a gift? Isn't that an act of worship? And to that, I would say, yes, definitely do that. But don't let a secondary thing keep you from doing the primary thing that God has commanded. See, this is the design of this. And what I love about this passage is is he's talking about this thing, that they are selling their fields and they're bringing it to the apostles' feet. They're just laying it down and saying, which, which which is a word for saying like they brought it to the church and they just said, so that can be distributed. And we know that the apostles started doing that. And then eventually when that became overwhelming, they appointed deacons to be doing that part. But ultimately it was is bringing it to the community so that it could be distributed. And what I love about it is, is, is Luke is describing like this thing is happening. Um, and he talks about it generically in big picture. But then he gives it a specific example. I mean, the whole reason that that is in there about about Barnabas who giving and selling that land is it's just details of saying like here's this big thing that's happening but then specifically here's an example of who, who has done this. It's this beautiful gift. Look, it is an act of worship to give money to the church in a way that is not the same thing with another charity or nonprofit organization. I have no qualms in saying that. And the reason is simple, because the church is the body of Christ. A nonprofit organization is not the body of Christ. Now, we are an outflowing of the body of Christ. We are members of the body of Christ. But the body of Christ is the united church. 
And we have expressions of those, local expressions of those. And so I don't have an issue of saying that if this is your church home, if you have made a commitment here, and if Jesus Christ is your Lord, then you should give here. And if you say like, well, but it's, it's one of many. If these aren't even, um, you know, arguments aren't convincing to you, understand that, that this is the way God has designed, that local families take care of one another. We see it in, in Galatians 6, when he says, let us do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. There is this idea of, yes, we are to give and we are to do good to everyone, but especially make sure it's happening in your local family, in the household of faith. Why? Because it's the body of Christ. Now, if Jesus is not your Lord, then any giving you do to the the church or any ministry of the church is a charitable donation. And, and that's, that's great. I mean, the charitable din- donations are great, but it's not an act of worship. And that is what we're talking about. Uh, last week, I quoted a friend of mine a, a couple of times, and he also um, says this, that the bottom line is that Christian giving is not about giving to a cause. It's about giving to a person. That's, that's my concern. My concern is never meeting um, a budget. I know some people think that should be a bigger concern of mine, but those things don't concern me. What concerns me as a shepherd is the hearts of all of us as sheep. And the heart of this is a heart of worshiping God, about giving directly to God. So that's the biblical case, spiritual case for it. But it's not just that. Because God doesn't just give us this command and say, well, do it because I said so and obey it and then just, you know, go on with your life. There's beautiful things that happen out of this when we are obedient to God's commands. I mean, when you look in Acts at what is going on there, I don't know if you've ever read Acts and just thought, I want to be there. I want to experience what they're experiencing. Like, I want, to, I want to see what that was like. You just have all these incredible things happening all around them. And one of the incredible things that was happening all around them is that simple phrase that they, they had everything in common. And then in verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. So there are several practical benefits of this plan that God has put in place. And one of them is the impact that we can have is so much larger together than it is as individuals. Like this early church picture is one where widows and orphans are being cared for. Nobody has any need among them. And it is so extreme that other cultures are looking at them and saying, what is going on there? They're even taking care of our widows and orphans. They're putting us to shame because there was something powerful that was happening as a community. But just imagine, let that sink into your heart, into your heads, that there was no one who had a need. Not one. Not one person 
had a need. Do me a favor. Think about the needs you know of in this church family and in the community around you. Just think about all the needs you know of. Just imagine if they were gone. I mean, I, I have the privilege of being able to talk to a lot of people in the community, and I learned so much from the way our church functions decentralized and, and, and hearing what's going on. I hear about needs of mental health services, needs of, of people who are, are hungry, or people that don't have homes, educational needs that are going on, family needs that are there, children who are being bounced around because they have no stability in their home life. And if you thought for a second of what would it look like if those needs were just wiped out, and if you're like me, you would think, well, that's impossible. Nobody could do anything like that. How could that ever happen? Well, the answer is simple. It's, the answer is the church. The church can do that. Like You can't tackle these things individually, right? I mean, there, there are a few families in our area who could make a donation that was so big that it could make a dent into one of those problems. Right? I mean, you take, you take the wealthiest families in our areas and they could, they could make a huge sacrificial gift that could do something like build on an addition to the homeless shelter. And by doing so, they make a dent in one of the problems. And so most of us couldn't even do that. Most of us would be like, okay, I could, I could give, I could sacrifice, and I could maybe provide, like sponsor a, a Thanksgiving dinner or something like that. Like I can, I can do some of these other things. But together, we can strategically give in the right places at the right amount with the right timing to move the needle on these things. Like you can help someone out who needs a meal individually, but wiping out hunger in our area is a much bigger issue. And it needs to be attacked strategically. These are incredible things that are happening there. One of the reasons they were able to meet every need is that they made giving was so simple. It was just simple. Everything was in common. They just brought it to the apostles' feet. Like the simplicity of it was striking. It was just done and the apostles were ready for it. I mean, you don't, you don't have any situations where they're, like, just imagine how much more complicated it makes things if, if they're saying, like, okay, so they were meeting each other's needs individually. We don't see that, like, one individual to another individual. It's this corporate meeting of saying, like, this is all pulled together, and then it's all, it's distributed as people have need. So you don't get this picture that somebody's, like, you know, like, oh, I got, I got Sue over here that she needs some help with her, with her housing, so I'm going to take care of that. But, but then I know that, like, Fred's got some issues over here and like Phil is just a complete mess over here and so I got to do something with him. I did this first service too. I, I don't think there's a Phil in this section but if there is, I apologize. I don't see anything. It's, it's, you don't get that example. You don't get that feeling that that's what's happening. What's happening is they're saying we have all things in common and so we just, we just bring it and then it gets distributed from there. It's so, it's so simple. I mean, we're just, we're trying to keep things simple because it 
encourages more worshipful giving. I mean, the reality is that the leadership in our church has, we're part of our responsibility is to have a big picture view of the needs that are going on in the community. Like, I don't know those things firsthand. But because in the body of Christ, we have teachers, we have firsthand experience with the needs that are in the community. Because in the body of Christ, we have law enforcement and we have health care providers. We have counselors. We have business owners. Because we have all of those things in the body of Christ, corporately, as the body of Christ, we have a much bigger picture view of the needs of our area. And so that simplicity allows for something else that's a part of this impact, which is it allows us to meet needs faster. Like Because people brought it to the apostles' feet, it was distributed to each as they had need, quickly. And if you've ever been in need, then you know that you don't, you don't have a month to wait a lot of times. It's an incredible thing. This already this happens in our church. One of the ways is through benevolence. We have, we have benevolence teams who, who are charged with, they have money that they can do something with. And when people come and, and ask for needs, we have people who, who meet with them and talk with them and figure out what's going on. And then they're able to meet needs now. They're able to keep people from being evicted now. They're able to get people's heat turned back on now. That only happens because the church gives and those resources are made available. We're called to be ready. I'm not going to go deep into this passage, but in 2 Corinthians 9, when Paul is talking to the church at Corinth about having a gift ready, look at how often, I have it in bold there, but look at how often the word ready is mentioned. Like the whole point that Paul is getting across here is be ready. I want you to be ready so that we can all be ready. He even says, I don't want to be embarrassed by the fact that you're not ready. Like we want you to be ready. So church, as a church, we want to be ready at all times. So practically speaking, as a church family, we can, we can accomplish so much more together. We can do it so much more simply and so much faster. But there's another piece of this that we can't get around that is part of this beauty and that we can do it with so much more power. Because the reality is that the giving to the local church and our community giving here as a family of God is not defined by the dollars that are there. Something powerful happens when we obey God and give directly to him. When we demonstrate tangible worship by saying that all of this is from God and all of it is for God. When we reflect the generosity that he has demonstrated to us, to our church family and to the world around us. When that happens, something powerful happens takes place. Something supernatural happens. How can you not see that when you look in the book of Acts? When Luke is telling these stories and sharing them with people, one of the things that is on display is that this is the power of God. 
This is not the power of the human spirit. This is not the power of collective dollars. This is not the power of charitable giving. This is the power of the Holy Spirit on display as they're preaching the gospel with power and grace is upon them all. This is not just about the money that's happening there. They are seeing miracles happening. They are rejoicing with one another. They are um, receiving boldness to proclaim the gospel. And how many of us read those accounts and say, that can't happen today. If you say that, then you're missing the point that the reason it happened then wasn't because it was a new movement. It wasn't because these people had physical recollections of Jesus. It wasn't because they just happened to gather a group of really awesome people who just nailed it. It happened because of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, who did all of that, he is the same one who dwells within us in this church family 2,000 years later. This church has always been a generous church. Since it started, it's been a generous church. We are, one of the things that I love about this church is how transparent we are with our finances, and it's always been this way. And so you can get access to any of, the, any of the numbers that we have. And if you look at those, what you'll see is that this church gives about 15% of our income that comes in away, primarily to missions, local and, and overseas, but also benevolence. And these, we, we give away 15% roughly. And that puts us in a pretty high tier of American churches. We, 15%, like on average, a lot of churches in America, on the average, I think is right around 2%. So compared to that, we're incredibly generous and have been incredibly generous for a long time. But what if we gave more? What if we ended up giving 20%? or 30%, or 50%. What then? Our desire is to give away an increasing percentage of our money through missions, through local blessing, through, through benevolence. And even this year, if you come to our business meeting in January, you'll see that our, our ministry teams have, have made cuts internally so that we can increase our giving outward. And what happens when that happens? I mean, the things that we could address. I mean, we we have a responsibility to our church family first and foremost. We have needs in our church family that need to be taken care of. We have needs in the external church family. We have needs that, that need to be met in, in, in like missions and proclaiming the gospel. We want to see like through church planting and through, through supporting missionaries, we want to see the gospel spread. We want to do it more and more. And we have needs in this area. 
in, in the Old Testament, every third year, they would take the tithe that they would bring to the temple and they would distribute it among the local people to make sure that the poor were taken care of. To be a blessing where they lived. And just imagine you in here who are teachers, you who are healthcare providers, you who are public servants, you who are business owners. Just imagine if the need that you think of, that you, if you could think of one of those needs and just wipe it out. Imagine what we could do. And then when that happens, think of the impact of that. Think of the witness to it. It says that with power, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. When we do this, when the church functions in this way, God gets the glory. Like, look, you can dismiss the generous act of one person, but of a whole community? How do you do that? How do you dismiss that? It's not possible. That was the power of the witness of the early church. It was one thing for one person to go and sell their property and to bring that and to, to give to the poor. It was one thing for one person to do that. But this was an entire community of people who were doing this. And later in Acts, it shows that they're doing this with such power, such grace was upon them that people were afraid to go near them. Because they're looking at it and saying, there is so much power. There's something so supernatural going on here. I don't want to just approach that. And yet, people were being added to their numbers daily. Why? Because in the midst of all that, Jesus is being lifted up. In the midst of all of that, these people were not taking credit for themselves. They were saying, this is because of the God who loves us and has rescued us. An example that I've seen here, I've used it before, but it just, it's just so, such a powerful example of this is what's happened with CASA here, with the court-appointed special advocates. So in our community, in our county, kids often find themselves in court through no fault of their own. They're just victims. They're just they're collateral damage a lot of times. And they need adults to come alongside of them, to stand with them, to be an advocate for them, to argue a case, to help the judge understand what's going on and to help the child understand what's going on. And that's a, that's, that's a difficult thing to recruit for and they wanted to expand up into Marinette County. And I mentioned it offhand because, again, I hear things. So that I just mentioned it offhand. And people in this church responded. In the first class of volunteers, half of the people in that class were from our church. And since then, a lot of the funding, we've been able to give substantial amounts of money. We've been able to allow them to meet in this place. And what happens? I mean, this is one of, this is one of the most unfair and most amazing parts of my job, is that I run into people from CASA at a community event or something like that, and they look at me and they say, oh, you're from faith. i got to introduce you to somebody. People who are not in the Christian world look at that and I get to tell them the reason why we care about these kids is because our Jesus cares about these kids. And because he has first loved us, we love others. 
I get to be the spokesperson of that. And I'm, don't worry, I'm clear to tell them I've done zero. Like I personally, like I showed up to the swearing in of the volunteers. Like kudos to me, all right? I did nothing, I did nothing. And yet, the testimony of the people, like they don't know me, they don't know Jay, they don't even know my name, they never, like they don't know my name. But they know the testimony of this church and the God that we're pointing to. And that was just with an offhanded remark and a group of people saying, I'm going to get involved in that. I'm going to do that. Imagine the things that we could attack together as a church in this area and transform the community for the glory of Jesus. And not that we would get credit, not that everybody would say, oh, because I wouldn't want people saying, oh, those people, those people are great, or Faith Church, that church is great. I want them to know that Jesus is great. And every time we together meet the needs of the community, we are able to declare that. We've done that in so many things. Let's do more. Like, I hope that you hear the encouragement of man, it's an incredible thing. I believe that part of the reason we're even in the position to be able to do more is because of the faithfulness and the generosity and the stewardship of the past. If we didn't have that, we wouldn't be standing on a platform from which we could do more. But we are standing on that platform. We are standing there. And so we can. And I believe that God will be glorified in that. That's what we're asking you to do. If this is your church home, we're asking you to take one of the pledge cards. And they're at the doors as you go out and pray this week. Don't pray about giving to chip into a budget. Like that's, that's not what I'm concerned about. It's not what the elders are concerned about. What we want to do is encourage our people to give as worship to Jesus, to experience the blessings and the freedom that come from that, and to be able to stand back and see how he works around us and to see as his name is lifted up and we receive more joy. And so next week, we're just encouraging people. We're going to have places you can, you can drop those off in. And we're asking everyone who considers us their church home to be a part of that. I don't know what God's going to do through all of this, but when I look at Acts, when I look at it in faith, not as, not as skeptical Jay, but as faith-filled Jay, I look at that and I get really excited. I hope you do too. Let's pray. Father, would you, would you be so gracious as to pour out with power your grace up upon us? There are so many testimonies of your grace in this room. There are so many testimonies of faithful worship through giving in this room. And God, 
We pray that we have been faithful. We submit all that to you. But God, we pray for more and more. God, I pray we would see the things that we see in Acts. I pray that we would experience the body of Christ in that way. God, give us faith and give us hope to believe. God, I pray for the needs that are in this community. God, I pray that we as a church family, as your body here, that we, that we would be a part of the solution of that, that we would be able to bring transformation to this community in tangible ways and then in spiritual ways. God, we would see a revival here. We know through scripture those things go hand in hand. The physical needs that are met and the spiritual needs that are met. God, let us be a part of it. We want to be a part of it. We want to see it. And we want you to be glorified. We want the name of Jesus to be lifted high. And we know that in doing that, we will receive ever-increasing joy. Would you do that here? In Jesus' name, amen.